strangely enough, this idea of spiritual gifts is one of the more, shall we say, controversial topics within the body of Christ. And I don't believe personally that this is a salvation issue. I believe that people can believe differently about the spiritual gifts than say we would. Uh, but I do believe it's a fullness of our salvation issue to experience the fullness of what God has for us. And, you know, the reality is there are different denominations all over the world. And even those denominations do different things in different countries and different states and all sorts of things. But the reality is, is that most people believe what they believe or know what they know or have learned what they now know in their upbringing. Either that being a physical, I mean, a natural upbringing, you learn things about life from your parents and how you are taught. And the majority of us know what we know now because of what we learned spiritually as our journey with Christianity has matured and evolved. Many of us in here have been in church for a long time and have learned a lot of things. Many of us in here have been in church for a little time and are still learning those things. And so the majority of us know those things by what we learned in our growing up. But the reality is this, that if we want to continue to learn and potentially learn that what we do, did know was untrue, then we have to take a position of humility, especially when it comes to the Bible, to learn what is God saying and not just what is our upbringing said. To, to, you know, there is definitely many denominations and in this state specifically, people ask me all the time, well, what denomination is your church? And I try to explain it and I try and work it out. But the reality is that we are a Bible-believing, Spirit-filled church that believes that the mission and mandate of Christians is to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We simply believe the Bible to the best of our understanding and ability, and we want to worship and follow Jesus as our first priority, and then our mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel so that other people might find hope, freedom, and healing in Jesus. So regardless of denominational boundaries or biases, I want to tell you I will step on toes of those who grew up in Pentecostalism because there's a lot of great things in Pentecostalism, but there's a lot of things that they missed. And I will step on the toes of those who have grown up in the Baptist church, and I'll step on the toes of anyone in any denomination where I believe that their bias has allowed them to misinterpret or misunderstand Scripture. Now, just quickly, that's not to say that I've nailed this. That's not trying to say some, all the denominations around the world, I am the supreme authority and know everything about it. But I am always going to obey the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to do the best to understand what I believe God's saying. And today, the reason I say all of this is because we are going to very quickly approach this idea that brings controversy within the body of Christ called the spiritual gifts or miracles, signs, and wonders. And the reason I want to do this today before we continue on is because it's no good I just give you constantly an understanding of that which we predominantly agree on already, but to try our best to have an understanding why challenges have happened or where areas of conflict are so that we are equipped and prepared for our journey to love one another. Because something fascinating about life and being a human being is it's possible to get along with people you don't agree with. 
Amen. And so I very quickly want to tell you this. Before we go in today, what we believe, we believe that the Bible teaches that spiritual gifts are available, accessible, and should be active in the life of every believer as they were within the early church. We believe that the spiritual gifts are for service and not for status. We believe that the primary purpose of spiritual gifts are for the encouragement and the empowerment of the church. Encouragement in the way of building up, strengthening, and caring for the body of Christ, the church, and empowerment in the way of enhancing our evangelism, the mission of the church. Amen? And so this is simply where we stand as a church. And what I want to do today is I want us to delve into this idea, and some of you might know these terms and some of you won't, but bringing up this idea are our spiritual gifts for today. And the two main camps that exist would be those that are called cessationists and those that are called continuationists. The names are pretty self-explanatory that those who believe uh, who fall in the camp of cessationists believe that spiritual gifts, miracles, signs and wonders have ceased to function and continuationists are those who believe that the gifts, spiritual gifts, miracles, signs and wonders have continued to this day. And I want us to open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 10, I'm sorry, verses seven, and then we're going to get into this, and we're going to come back to this scripture at the end of the sermon, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 7, it'll be on the screen for the lazy people. It says this, love bears all things, believes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When the perfect comes, the partial, speaking of tongues and prophecies and the gifts of the Spirit, when the perfect comes, these things will pass away. I'm going to go a little bit slower today, and I want to try and teach as much as I can to give you as much information as I can without boring you to get us through this, because I believe it's really important and really empowering for what we believe and why we believe it. And so I'm going to explain the position of cessationists first. It can be called cessationism or cessationist. And this is what it is. Cessationism is a doctrine that spiritual gifts such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, and miracles ceased with the apostolic age. And I'm going to help you understand what that means in a minute if you don't already know. They believe that signs and wonders ceased when all of the apostles died and it ceased as a normal ministry strategy. Cessationists do not believe that, uh, sorry, do not deny that miracles can happen today, but they believe that God is sovereign and can do miracles as He wills, although it be infrequent. 
But they would suggest that the gift of healing and miracles does not function through people anymore like it used to. They believe that we should not seek or desire to experience or see miracles, signs and wonders in the same way that Jesus did or his apostles. And this is because they believe that those gifts were merciful allowances for the proving of the apostles' unique apostolic authority in establishing the church of Jesus Christ in that era. They now, sorry, they believe that we now have the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, the written word of God, and that miracles, signs, and wonders are no longer needed. Therefore, they have ceased to function. So because the Bible is now canonized, put together, we have the written authoritative word of God that we live our lives by. They would suggest that we no longer need miracles, spiritual gifts, to prove that the Word of God is true because we have the proven and established Word of God. This doctrine was developed in the Reformation area. That is when the church broke away from the Catholic Church and we become now broadly known as what's the Protestant Church. And when they, this, this doctrine was developed in that breakaway from the Catholic Church and it was primarily developed by a man or a great theologian named John Calvin. This is the broad stroke of those who hold the position of cessationists. Now, I think it's really important to clarify something. In my younger years, I grew up very charismatic, believing in the gifts of the Spirit, seeing them happen in my life and around my life. And a, someone who holds this position in my younger, not that I'm that old, thank you so much. But in my, let me use the word, in my immature years, I thought outrageous, they've missed everything. But I, I want to say this, and I think it's important that people that hold this position can be incredible, godly people who love Jesus, who want to see his kingdom advance on the earth, are, are awaiting the return of our Savior. Jesus Christ. And therefore, I think it's so important that we can still love and function together in the broad mission of the church to win the lost at any cost and to mend the net so the catch is great, to make disciples of all nations. Amen. I just want to, I want to clarify that lest I have any people picketing out the front soon. We love you. We're thankful for you all. That's generally what the cessationist position would be. Now, the continuationists so many ists. Broadly speaking would be this, is the theological belief that spiritual gifts such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, and miracles are available, accessible, and active for all Christians in every age. Essentially saying, that it never stopped. It may have gotten quiet for a while, but it never stopped being available. It never, the, the gifts of the Spirit and miraculous signs and wonders never ceased to be accessible and that they have always been active throughout all of history in some capacity or not. This is what would be considered a continuationist. We believe that signs, wonders, and miracles are for today. We believe that we should seek 
and desire to experience and see miracles, signs and wonders in the same way that Jesus did and the same way that the apostles did. We believe that the primary purpose of these gifts, miracles, signs and wonders are for the encouragement of the church and the empowerment of our mission evangelism. We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue to function today as they always have since the apostles first started to function in them in the beginning of the church, hence the title continuationists. This theological term was developed in direct response to the doctrine of cessationism because before that, before the development of the doctrine of cessationism in the Reformation, Reformation, continuationism, although not named, was the settled view of the entire Christian church. It is the historical position. It is what was available, accessible, and active until the cessationist doctrine was created as they broke, as we broke away from what's known as the Catholic Church. And in the Catholic Church, there were miracles happening, some controversial, some real. And in this breakaway, in this position to try and protect the purity of God's word and the people of God, this doctrine called cessationism was developed, taught, passed on until these days still in many different spaces and different cultures and different churches is believed with passion. Amen. Now, I want to go through a few things here to help us understand why we believe that the gifts are still accessible available and active today. But to do that, I want to do this. The two main ideas that people who believe in cessationism generally hold to as proofs of their position are these. Number one, that the miraculous gifts were uniquely set aside, were uniquely set aside for and only performed by the apostles. So they hold the position that Gifts, signs, and wonders happened undeniably in the Bible, but they were set aside and only wrought or done through the apostles. And the main reason being is that those signs and wonders existed to confirm who the first apostles were as they were establishing the Bible, the Word of God, as they were establishing the early church. And so these signs existed to give evidence or proof that these apostles were different, that they had been with Jesus, that they were specifically commissioned by Jesus, and that what they were doing was true because in the early church, they didn't have the Bible. There was no such Bible as we know it. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament or the Bible. And so what they were saying was confirmed by what they were doing. Generally, that's the main point that they held to. The second is that since this was the case, the apostles have all died, and now we have the Bible that was confirmed by the apostles and the signs and wonders in the ministry of Jesus. And because we have the Bible, those gifts are no longer needed. Therefore, they have ceased to function. 
Now, what is extremely and importantly true is that the apostles did function powerfully in miracles, signs, and wonders, and in the gifts of the Holy Spirit as they established the Word of God and as they established the early church of Jesus Christ. There's, it's an undeniable fact that the apostles carried something extremely special. And very quickly, the apostles. Apostle means sent out one. And when this context, we're talking about the apostles, we're talking about Jesus' 12 disciples who walked and lived with him for three years being discipled. They were then sent out by Jesus after his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And he commissioned them and sent them into the world to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. So these are the 12 apostles that we were, talk, that we're talking about. They were the foundation and the leaders of the early church. Just for fun, there are 12 of them. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, two Jameses, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas, who we all know is the one who betrayed Jesus before he was crucified. This was the 12 apostles. Then when Judas was went and hung himself and left the 12, they replaced him by casting lots, which is a whole other conversation. But they went and basically rolled a dice to find out who's going to join them. It's a few categories they had to fit. They had to have seen the risen Lord, had to have been there. But then they added a guy called Matthias, 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 someone kind of like Matthew. So these are the apostles that are, so apostles are sent out ones. And in the book of Acts, which is the most powerful, most true and early historical accounts of the church of Jesus Christ, in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what it says. And it says, the people and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And then verse 43 says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So there was an early establishment of the church as the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers, and they began to gather, pray together, worship together, take communion together, understand the Word of God together. And there was a place and a season where there was an awe, in some translations say fear, came upon everybody as the apostles did miracles, signs, and wonders. Then in Acts chapter 5, verses 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. I could keep going, and there's many different scriptures and verses that are going to back up the idea that the apostles, Jesus is 12, minus Judas, adding Matthias, adding them Paul eventually, performed miracles, signs and wonders in a supernatural and powerful way, which helped the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ, which helped the proving that the words they were saying were from God and not from men, and that they were walking in a level of power that was miraculous for the world to see that these were the followers of Jesus. Amen? The problem with the first point 
that only signs and wonders happened with the apostles is that the Bible tells us a different story. Quickly, there's a man called Stephen. Anybody heard of Stephen in the Bible? Stephen was what we would call a layman. He didn't work in the church. He wasn't one of the pastors. He wasn't one of the teachers. He was a believer. He was a follower of Jesus, and he was in the early church. And it came to a point where the apostles got together, and they said, things are getting very busy as we're caring for the widows, we're caring for the poor, we're making disciples. We need to be able to spend more time with God in His presence understanding and learning what he has to say for us in this season. So we're going to appoint seven men to help us with the working in the church, with the administration, the helping of the church to help feed the widows and care for the people. And they listed a group of people, two of them being a man named Stephen and a man named Philip. Now, Stephen and Philip, we have to understand here, are not in the original apostolic role and function as the 12 were. They were not there with Jesus. They were not Jesus' intentional disciples. And they were not the ones who the cessationist people believe signs and wonders only happened through. And in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 8, we okay as a lot of Scripture. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and full of power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So first and foremost, we had Stephen, who was not an apostle, who never wrote a book of the Bible, who never was trying to establish the foundation of the church, but was there serving and helping and caring for the people. In fact, he was, the Bible later on tells us he was extremely intelligent. And there, this extremely intelligent, servant-hearted man was full of grace, full of power, and was doing great miracles, signs, and wonders among the people. We then have Philip, who was one of these other seven who were set aside to help in the church. In Acts chapter 8, verses 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Philip was not the Philip who is the apostle Philip. He was the other Philip who had been set aside by the apostles. We know that because after this happened, Peter and John heard about what was happening, and so they had to go and visit to make sure everything was going okay, to help bring clarity and understanding, to establish that this is what God was doing through Philip. And so Philip was there driving out demons, unclean spirits, and praying for people who were paralyzed, and they were being healed. Those would be considered miracles, signs, healings, and wonders. Philip also not being one of the apostles. Then very quickly, we go to the book of Acts chapter 11, verse 27. It says, now in these days, prophets, come on, anybody love the prophetic? I know you do. Everyone's a bit nervous to wave their hand or not. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them was, and sorry, and one of them named Agabus stood up 
foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. Here we have Agabus, who was not an apostle, who was not even one of the seven whom the apostles appointed for the mission and was considered a prophet, which we'll talk about next week, the office of the prophet the office of the apostle, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, but was, not, but was holding the position of a prophet, came and prophesied, the Bible uses the word, foretold an event that would happen, and it came to pass. The problem being here that the cessationist point of view suggests that these things were limited to apostolic people and the authority of the apostles, but we have Agabus. Anybody name their children Agabus? who was prophesying. So many. James said there's so many. Then we find that miraculous gifts were given to, in the Bible, each person in the church, not just the apostles. It's our main text for this whole series, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each, not to the apostles, not to just those whom the apostles prayed for, but to each, the manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. For to each one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits and to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. The miraculous gifts in that list were given to each believer, not just to those with apostolic authority. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, it says, God has appointed first the apostles, second the prophets, third the teachers. Then Paul moves away from speaking about those in church authority to mention that these gifts can function with those who believe. Then he says, then miracles, then gifts of healings. So it's important that Paul doesn't just say miracles are for the apostles. He says, first we have apostles, then we have prophets, then we have teachers, then we have gifts of miracles, then we have gifts of healing, which are apportioned to each as God desires, as His will would happen. Amen? All right, quick break. Take a breather. Super thankful there are a lot of visitors here with us today. And I understand this is probably an interesting topic to be visiting about um, if you're not from a church like ours, if you're new to church, but we're thankful you're here and I promise next week I'll be a little bit more charismatic and put on a show and do a dance. But this week, I'm trying to teach the Bible so you understand it, all right? Is that okay? Now, the reasons that we believe miracles, signs, and wonders of the gifts of Spirit are still for today. You see, that first little thing we went through there was to sort of I use the word disprove, the fact that the miracles, signs, and wonders are not set aside just for the apostles. And so I believe the argument there really falls short if you really look into it, if you don't come from a preconceived idea if, to think that gifts, signs, and wonders only happen with the apostles to establish apostolic authority. 
That part's true. Their gifts, signs, and wonders did help establish their apostolic authority in the beginning in the early church, and the gifts spread through the whole church. I mean, it's, it's an undeniable fact. And so therefore, it's important that we clarify that there is a couple people in the cessationist idea that probably have realized that, therefore have said that the gifts, miracles, signs, and wonders ceased after everybody who had been laid the hands of impartation on by the apostles died. So they stretch it to the idea that it's a bit hard for us to deny that signs and wonders happen through people that aren't apostles, but the reason is that's because the apostles imparted to, the, imparted, imparted to them the gift of miracles, signs and wonders, the gifts, and once it was imparted to them, they were unable to impart to somebody else, but they were able to function in it until they died out as well. And therefore, the gifts slowly diminished, decreased, and eventually were done away with as anyone who had direct contact to the apostles passed away and went on to glory. But you see, the reason we believe that miracles, signs, gifts of the Spirit are still active today is simply because the Bible says they are. The preaching of the gospel and heal, the gospel of the kingdom and healing ran hand in hand in the ministry of Jesus. It's undeniable. In the book of Luke chapter 9 verses 1, it says, And he called the twelve, being his disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to Heal. Now, this is where Jesus gave power and authority to his disciples at the time who became his apostles to go out, preach the kingdom, and heal the sick. It's what Jesus did everywhere that he went. He preached the gospel of the kingdom and he healed the sick. He then gave that power and authority to his disciples to go and preach the gospel and heal the sick. So that part sort of lives together. Then we move on down Luke a little bit where Jesus goes from sending out the 12 to sending out the 70. Now this is a bunch of followers of Jesus who are not his direct disciples, who were not the apostles. And in Luke 10 verses 8, he says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. That makes a lot more sense when you go on a mission trip. I've eaten some very funny things. Very quickly, we don't have time for diversions, but we'll just do it anyway. I was in Kenya, way in the bush there, and they made this chicken stew. Fantastic. Who likes chicken stew? I like a chicken stew. The difference with this stew is as you're trying to get the chicken out, you start seeing little eyes, little beaks, little chicken head, chicken feet, chicken gizzards. Anything that is remotely edible from that chicken is in that stew. It's amazing. Or they go to the big lake there and they fish out some fish and then they just chop them up a little bit, cut them in, put some, I don't even know if there's seasoning on there, and they throw it up on the roof. Let the roof cook the fish, put it in the pot, pour in some coconut milk and who knows whatever other stuff's in there. I mean, it's, and it's the whole fish again. Anyway, that verse makes a lot of sense. All that to say that whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Imagine that. 
but I'm gluten intolerant. I'm a vegan, so starve. Sorry if you're a vegan. Verse 9, he says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. The apostles were sent out to heal the sick and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus then sends out 70 other people and says, Go into the world, preach the gospel of the kingdom, and when you're there, heal the sick. It's an amazing picture to understand that the preaching of the kingdom and the healing of the sick kind of run hand in hand. It happened in the life of the apostles. It happened in the life of Jesus. And it happened in the life of the earliest missionaries, the 70 who Jesus sent out. In the book of Matthew, before he sends out the apostles, he tells them, hey, go preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, do your thing. Uh, And he said, but don't go to the Gentiles, just first go to the house of Israel. Now this is important because Jesus gave a command to his apostles to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal the sick. But he stopped them and said, but don't go to the entire world. First, go to the house of Israel, the Jews. And so they did that. Now, in the book of Acts, chapter one, verses eight, or in the majority of the great commissions, Jesus says this, we'll do Acts chapter one, verses eight. He says, but you will receive power. That word power means miraculous, explosive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses telling the world about me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reason this is important is because Jesus gave a command to not go to the ends of the earth, but to go to the Jews. In that command, he said, preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, don't go to the Gentiles, only go to the house of Israel. But here in the book of Acts and in the Great Commission in Matthew, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, make disciples of all nation. Jesus supersedes and overrides his initial commandment to not go to the Gentiles. So if Jesus gives a command earlier on and he supersedes it by something different or something greater, we should listen to the second commandment, not the first one. Because our mission is to go to the whole world, to the far corners of the earth. The reason this is important for today is this. Jesus never anywhere in all of his teaching rescinded or overrode the commission to preach the gospel of the kingdom or to heal the sick. He changed the command from the audience, but he didn't change the command. And if Jesus gave us a command and never took it back, never changed it, never superseded it, I want to tell you it's important that we follow Jesus, that we listen to Jesus, that we follow the Bible, not our personal experience, not some doctrine created, many years after Jesus, but to follow the Bible, trust that it's true, even if it's hard to understand, even if you've been hurt by it, even if you're in a meeting where someone faked it, even if you're in a meeting where somebody pretended or monetized it or betrayed it or prostituted the gifts of the Spirit, even if those things are real, we should still follow Jesus' word and His ways because He has called us for such a time as this to be witnesses to the whole world, to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal those 
who was sick and oppressed by the devil. Amen. All right, worship team can join me. Ah, they're already there. Magic. And finally, to wrap up today, the anchor scripture that people who hold this, the cessationist position hold on to is the one we read first in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 7. Paul's just been busy teaching about all the gifts. And he says, hey, gifts are good. Tongues of angels are good. Miracles are good. Signs and wonders are good. He's like, but truth be told, if you don't have love, you have nothing. You're a clanging symbol. You ever heard a clanging symbol in a small room? Sounds good here. It doesn't sound good if it's right next to your head. He says, if you don't have love, you're nothing. All of your gifts, all the miracles, it's nothing if you don't have love. He then goes into the famous passage in Corinthians about love, which we did a, I don't know how long that series was, but a bunch of weeks unpacking that last year or early this year. And this is where he lands. He says, love bears all things. Love believes all things hopes all things and endures all things. And he says, love never ends. He says, as for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Not love, because love's not partial. Love's unconditional and it's eternal. But the gifts, they're going to pass away. So here we are presented with the Bible teaching us that signs, wonders, and the gifts of the Spirit, they will stop. They will cease to function and they will cease to be necessary. And the, the time frame that that's going to happen, the Bible tells us, is when the perfect has come. Those who hold the other view would suggest that this perfect in here is the formation of Scripture, the Bible. So that we prophesy in part, we see in part, these things, they're going to pass away when the perfect comes, well, the perfect Word of God is here. It's available and it's for us. Therefore, we no longer need spiritual gifts. We no longer need signs and wonders to confirm the Word. We have the Word and we ought to live our lives by it. The problem with this, and I have three and then we're going to wrap this thing up. The first one is, if according to this idea that the Bible has come and therefore these things have ceased, Prophecy and tongues were to pass away, the miraculous gifts. In that list is knowledge. But we don't believe that knowledge has passed away. People that hold the cessationist point of view do not believe that knowledge has passed away. Therefore, it's a huge problem to want to hold this position, yet pluck knowledge out of it and make sure the miraculous gifts stay in it. Problem number one. Problem number two is this. 
And it's simple. The perfect is not the Bible. The perfect is Jesus. We believe that the Bible is perfect. We believe that the Bible is authoritative for our life. It's the inspired Word of God that we live our lives by for exhortation, for encouragement, for godly living. That it was breathed by the Holy Spirit and written by man. That the original manuscripts are infallible and without error. We believe that the Bible that we read and live our lives by is perfect. We just don't believe it is the perfect. We believe it's how it's the Word of God that teaches us about the perfect one, Jesus. When this scripture says that we will know in part, we know in part, and these things will pass away and they will cease. And when the perfect is come, it's not talking about the Bible formulating. It's talking about the return of King Jesus, the final consummation, the day that He comes back, the day it's called the blessed hope that we are all should be endeavoring and waiting for. It is the return of the King, the final return of Jesus Christ. Because friends, let me tell you plain and simply, when Jesus come back and the new world is here, we will not be sick, therefore we will not need healing. We will know in full we will understand the perfect word and the will of God we won't be in partial places we will be in the fullness of his kingdom Jesus will be there the angels will be there we will be there and we'll be worshiping singing holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty the perfect is coming the gifts will cease and when he comes we don't need his gifts because he will have him right here in us around us surrounded in the heavensly it is our time it's the blessed hope what we are waiting for it is not the fulfillment and the culmination of the word of god it is jesus christ whom the word of god points to amen and the third thing is simple that i'm not a crazy person you might think i am but i'm not that many people all throughout history are not crazy people. There have been crazy people. Things have been manipulated. You might have watched things on television that aren't true. But I can tell you from personal witness, from testimonies of other people that I trust, from all different denominations and all different backgrounds, that God has been doing and still does miracles to this day. It's undeniable. I remember praying for a Brazilian couple who had been trying for nine years to have a baby. They came to me, they said, Pastor Joel, we can't have children. We really want to. And I said, well, I believe that Jesus still heals. And so today, why don't we pray for you? And so we pray. Nine months later, pregnant. So a baby, nine months. I went and saw them. It was in a different city. I went back a year later and they're holding their baby. Now, a lot of people like to give credit to coincidence, but I don't. I think we give way too much credit to coincidence. I've watched at a youth camp with friends of ours in Washington, a young boy who was colorblind. We prayed for him. God healed his eyes and he could see color perfectly for the first time. It's amazing. I remember a young girl we prayed for on the Gold Coast of Australia at a youth event. She had a lazy eye. Doctors had tried to fix it. They couldn't keep it straight. Just kept pulling. Nothing they could do about it. We prayed. 
and that eye pulled right back in the center. She tells a testimony on video how she felt it pulling and her eye functions perfectly right dead center. I mean, this is just little stories. I said it last week and I'll say it again. Just because things have been abused, prostituted, done poorly, made to glorify man rather than to glorify God, doesn't mean they're not real. Just because the gifts, the miraculous gifts have been abused, doesn't mean they're not true. Because the truth is, one of the most abused gifts of the Spirit is the teaching of the Bible. It's abused all over the place. People teach it poorly everywhere. They misuse it. They abuse it. They used it to create movements that are demonic. They use the Word of God. They taught the Bible to create movements that are demonic. Yet we don't want to throw away the teaching of the Bible just because somebody abused it. But for these things, we're like, get rid of them. They don't really, let's make up a reason. Let's find a way because it's uncomfortable and it's challenging. Friends, it is uncomfortable and it is challenging. But I'll tell you this and we're going to close. We serve a supernatural God. That means He's superior to the natural. He has given gifts to men to go and preach His Word. You see, signs, miracles, and wonders and gifts were not to just confirm the apostles. It was to confirm the Word that they preached. And we're still preaching the Word. We're still preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom. We'll still believe for miracles, signs, and wonders happen. We will seek them and we desire them not to glorify them, but to give glory and honor to the King of Kings, the Lord and Lords, the living hope, Jesus Christ, who is not distant, but is with us he is tangible and He's here healing people's bodies and saving people's lives. Amen? So to close, we believe that the Bible teaches that spiritual gifts are available, accessible, and should be active in the life of every believer as they were within the early church. We believe that spiritual gifts are for service, not for status. We believe that the primary purpose of the spiritual gifts are for the encouragement and the empowerment of the church. Encouragement in the way of building up, strengthening and caring for the church and empowerment in the way of enhancing our evangelism for the mission of the church to reach our world for good and for God, to see the lost saved and disciples made. Amen.